Hello and welcome to the Mauer Glass Podcast, where we view the world through the lens of design. I'm your host, Jill Mauer, and today I am joined by my trusty... Are you a sidekick? I guess. Artemis. Today, we're talking all about the Thai rescue of the... Oh, the whole whole podcast? Yeah. Special edition here? We are. Artemis and I were both just enthralled by the whole thing. It was absolutely an amazing design puzzle. I, I think everybody... Well, not everybody, but I mean, a lot of people, a lot of the world was really watching this whole rescue from the beginning. And... Looking at it through the lens of design is an interesting way to view it because it was a big design puzzle, starting from even just trying to find the boys and then when they found them, how to do the rescue. We didn't really want to talk about it until it was resolved, um, Part partly because, I mean, I don't know um, how superstitious I am, but I just didn't want to jinx anything. I mean, we were just holding our breaths. Mm-hmm. And the one diver passed away. It was very, very sad. And, you know, trying to rescue the boys. And it was awful. And, and at that point, we still didn't know if the if the team would get out. And, and now the team is out and everything is resolved. So I feel um, I feel okay talking about it. it. It It's, you know, it's at the same time, it's bittersweet, like a lot of things in life. You know, it was it was really an amazing story, an amazing rescue. The first thing is, what on, what on earth were they doing in there? Basically, I don't really understand Thai culture completely, obviously, um, but there's there's a lot of lore and heritage when it comes to caves. And so they were going into the cave as a team. The, these The soccer team, I think it's the wild boar soccer team, that the children were for between 11 and 16 years old, I think, and their coach is 25 years old. And they were going in to... They wanted to celebrate one of the boys' birthdays in the cave, and little known to them, but I think they ended up celebrating two of the boys' birthdays in the cave. But they thought they were just going in um, for the day or for a couple of hours. and Yeah, they were planning sort of a, a birthday picnic that day. And mm-hmm. they, uh, that, that cave apparently has a lot of... Uh, spiritual. I mean, cave diving in general has a lot of spiritual content. Well, they weren't diving at the time. At the time, no, there I mean, was no water. There I mean, was, by cave yeah. diving, I mean they're going into a cave. Into a That's... cave, spelunking or whatever. Yeah. So, and there were apparently some really tight parts of the cave. In in the and and one of the things I want to say up front is that there are a lot of conflicting reports. Uh, before and after about this cave so and about this whole situation so some of the things that we've heard have been contradicted it's unclear what's true and so we clearly we may state something that is patent patently untrue that turns out to be untrue but we're just looking at we're gonna we're gonna do our best with uh an internet connection over here (laughs) right because in the beginning they said oh the boys walked in they walked in and then the waters rose and so that's why they had to dive out well but but part of the part of the oh, part of where they came out, they said it was only like fifteen inches of clearance. Clearly, they didn't walk into that. The water didn't cause anything to close up, so they must have wedged themselves through parts of this cave to go in. So, and it, let's talk about this cave for a second, because this cave is sort of miraculous the way it's you know how nature has sort of designed it. So it's basically this huge about ten kilometer stretch of just 
weird winding caverns. Some of it open, some of it not. And uh, some of the maps that they released when they were outlining what the divers would have to do to get the boys out showed the shape of certain tunnels. And some of it wasn't, you know, didn't look like you could all, almost fit a human in there. So I'm sure there were parts that I don't think you through. could fit this human through there. I mean, I saw, <laughs> I saw, some, you know, I frankly, I saw some of the stuff they were going through and maybe I would fit through there, but I certainly wouldn't want to try. I mean, there is just no chance. And I, and I will tell you that I do have a uh, diving license, but it's an open water license. Oh, that's right. You were talking about, uh, while this was happening, some of the comparisons between the different levels of, of diving certification yeah. and, and that we sort can, of stuff, which can, is interesting because when these things sort of happen, I, I think I was telling you, uh, I try to do... It's, it sounds stupid, but when something like this happens, one of the biggest frustrating parts for me, especially as, a, as sort of a filmmaker artist sort of thing is to get I want to understand have empathy for the situation I don't dive so I I wanted just some sort of frame of reference so one of the days I think it was a few days before the dive before the rescue mission I went out to my pool at my apartment complex and I was trying to run drills of swimming on the bottom of the pool full length and back just to sort of get an understanding of like holding your breath for super periods of long time just to get an understanding of it I remember (laughs) texting you I was after I got out of the pool I was just like no just there's no way I don't think I'm glad I'm not in charge of doing this because I don't think I have what it takes um and most of it was the limestone the cave is made of mostly like limestone and hard granite and I told you that at one point I scraped my stomach on the bottom of the pool it wasn't bad but I remember thinking like I couldn't imagine doing that without visibility uh being a child scared uh probably malnourished from having not had decent food in several days uh being completely unprepared to dive and on top of that you're scraping against actual cave exterior (laughs) yeah so i wouldn't frankly want to go into that cave with no water like i am i am just simply uncomfortable with crawling into small spaces and then i'm just uncomfortable with that like i you know i don't i won't go into the crawl space of a house and it's not so much that i'm afraid of small spaces it's more about not knowing what else is in there and and not being sure that i can get out so there are some like I've been in a sensory deprivation tank. I'm fine with that, but I wouldn't have been in there with no with no water. First of all, I I will say I don't know. Like I'm, you know, we all know, or I don't know if we all know, but I'm fascinated with the Lascaux cave. That's where the prehistoric art was, and I have seen the people who went into that original one. And you have to be a small person to get in there because there are definitely parts where you just squeeze through, and that would never happen for me. You see pictures of tourists now in the in the Lascaux Cave, but the truth is that that is a mock-up of the cave. To, to see the, the original cave, you've got to spelunk, and it's not something I would be willing to do. And this was such a dangerous rescue, and we can talk about some of that, and I do have some experience with diving, not that it's a great deal, but part of this whole design looking at this through the lens of design is that what they were trying to do is not have to have these children dive because it they really wanted that to be the last resort. There were, in addition to the divers who found the children and then made a plan for getting them out, there were people who were above the cave trying all different kinds of approaches to get them out, drilling, they, they were trying to do anything but have them die. Yeah, so that's the uh, <clears throat> that's the scenario they had, right? And I think that's when I first started because we I had heard that some kids went to a cave and we hadn't found them yet. And then uh, I came here and you had said, oh, they had found them. And that's sort of when I came in at it was, here's the problem. We finally, oh, did you, uh, did you read about how they found them exactly? 
Yes, but um, but I had been watching it before they found yeah, yeah. them, and so I, it was just amazing that they found. It's them such alive. a great story. So they're di- they're looking for the kids, and you know they know they're in this cave. They know they're somewhere, but again, it's huge. And so some of the first divers, apparently, what happened was, and they don't know if they're dead or alive. They're not sure. They don't know what they're going to find. So they're diving through this cave. You know, just. This huge distance takes hours to get into uh, in this murky water you can't see in. And as they're doing it, they're dropping a line so that other divers can find them and they can find their way out because it's a mapped cave, but you don't know what's going to happen if you can't see. So these dropping a line, they run out of line. And when he runs out of line, he they go up. And when they go up, that's when they find the kids. They're on this shelf, this granite sort of shelf, and the kids are just sort of there and they're like, Hey, how's it going? Right, and if you haven't seen it, there is video footage of this, and it is... It is amazing. Everybody's surprised. Yeah, that, that um, and, shot that you just know is going to be in the movie of them just sitting on the shelf, like wide-eyed, like oh my god, like we're we're going to be saved. And the and the divers, of course, the boys are from Thailand, and the divers who happened to find them. Now there were plenty of Thai divers that were down there. People from all over the world came together to try to find these children and eventually save them. And the two that happened to first discover them were English. And we're speaking English. And so it's sort of this, um, you know, a couple of them can understand some of the words. And it's an interesting little conversation. And yeah, it, apparently only one of the kids um, spoke English, which was interesting. Because he was sort of the, the go-between between Diver and the rest of the team. Yeah, eventually they got more Thai Divers yeah, down right. there. But <laughs> there was a doctor who stayed with them, I think, most of the time, who was Australian. Um, yeah, it was... and. One of the first questions they asked was, what, what day is it? Like, they had lost... They no idea. They didn't have... They couldn't see the sun. They didn't... Right. They had no idea how long they had been in there. And then and then they thought, okay, good, we're going to get out today. You found us, we're going to get out. And, and that wasn't the case. So it was 10 days before they were found, and then it was several more days that they stayed in there. Now, and the other part of this whole thing was, as they were trying to figure out how to get them out, they were doing several things. One was... They were pumping water out. Now, let me just say that as a mom, one of the things that was reported was that there were all kinds of signs saying, don't continue, it's monsoon season. I'm not 100% certain I would go into a cave. I have certain fears that would probably keep me from doing so. So I look at it just, I since I came in at the point where, okay, they're in the cave, here's where it is. I'm like, I was sort of puzzle driven, but I agree that there's no way that, I mean. I have been in a cave. Yeah. So, yeah, um... I have. I've been in caves in uh, in Virginia and also in Arizona. I don't have a problem necessarily with going into a cave that has, you know, that is well known and is well traveled. I'm not going to squeeze my body through any part. If I have to squeeze my body through, that is an indication to me that I should not be there. Mm-hmm. So I will stay <laughs> on the other side and. No, thank you. You know, we, we all have this risk-reward thing that we do, whether we realize it or not. And my risk-reward algorithm says that I am willing to scuba dive. Um, and it, But it says I am not willing to to jump out of a plane. You know, I'm not willing to... Par- you know, we, we all have yeah. our own thing. Um, mine definitely says we are not squeezing through anything to get to anywhere in a right. cave. So 13 people trapped in a cave about 10 kilometers in. Uh, it's too... 
The rain came in as they went in, so they can't really just walk out, and they're trapped there. And at this point, they just started floating every idea under the sun. Some people said, what, drilling? Yeah, so well, one of the things they started doing was draining the cave, so Mm -hmm. draining the water. So as fast as they could, they were draining water out. Now, there was problems because the water was coming in. So you have issues of, as that water goes in, now your oxygen is cut off because there is no airflow to and from the cave because there were certain points in that cave that were completely covered with water. And so they are, you know, they're they're breathing and they're using up the oxygen. The oxygen, uh, the, the air that we breathe normally has 21% oxygen. They were down to 15% oxygen. So some of the things they were doing was pumping water out of the cave and trying to pump oxygen into the cave. Then there were people above, and there was um, there were some problems above where one group of rescuers uh, were in a pretty bad car accident. I think everybody did survive. It was a truck accident. It got turned over on the cave. It was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were up there trying to figure out if there was a way to drill in or if there was some sort of crack or something yeah. that they could get through the top. They found it. They they knew there was sort of a tunnel. I'm not sure if it was mining, but it was some tunnel. They said, well, if we're going to drill, it was was sort of like that movie Armageddon. They're like, we should find the lowest possible place to not waste drilling. So they they thought that they maybe could access that place through a tunnel. So, yeah, they were looking for But then again, you know, is the drilling going to make it collapse? Are we going to hurt the boys drilling? So there was all that. And there were many, many, I saw many divers and former U.S. Navy SEALs saying, under no circumstances should you take those boys out, um, you know, via the way they came in because diving is just too dangerous. And I will tell you, um, just, just from the limited experience I had. So when you get an open water license, you start in a swimming pool and not only did these boys not have any diving experience, several of them couldn't swim at all. And I saw grown men, grown people who couldn't, get their diving license they you know washed out of diving uh, right away because they couldn't get past this concept of of having a respirator in your mouth being underwater and breathing from a tube and and it is a weird experience um and you're just in the beginning just sitting on the the floor of three feet of water and you need to sit there for something like 20 minutes to pass this just this first little step, and a lot of people wash out right there. And it's because it it is a weird experience. You Your throat is almost, in a way, sort of fo- forced open. You're, when you normally breathe, you're breathing through your mouth and your nose, and you can alternate. So if you, if you have something in your mouth, you breathe through your nose. If your nose is clogged, you breathe through your mouth. Where you start panicking is your nose is out of play. You can't breathe out of that. Now, if you have to cough, if you have to sneeze... All of, all of that happens underwater. I don't even know what would happen if you had to throw up. You know, there, there are things that you just realize that your airway, which you unconsciously are constantly protecting, is not completely protected. And there are people who panic due to it. And that is literally somewhere where they could just stand up and, and call it off. And they still panic to the point that they wash out. Right. So you add to that that the water is freezing, you, you're exhausted, and you're oxygen deprived. The water is freezing, you can't see. That water was murky, muddy water, and you're going to have something above you. Even just when you have tanks on and you're just swimming in the water, one of the biggest 
fears is what's behind you, what's what's back there, because you can't turn around in the same way and your life support is on your back and you can't see it and protect it. So that's also panic driving. Um, and now you're going to have to squeeze through something. It's there's all kinds of that was the video panic. moment. Remember, I sent, uh, I sent you the copy of that video they'd released of one of the divers actually going through one of the passages. Tank wasn't on his back. He had it sort of in front of him. And not only is he like shoving it through, and this is like a GoPro wide angle lens and it barely fits in there. He's pushing the tank through and then he's like moving. And at some point his head gets in a position where his head, he can't even lift his head up or down. He has to just keep wiggling through. I was just like, nope. Nope. <laughs> nope, not, nope. Nope. Not going to happen. I did oh. see some video of them drilling. They were literally drilling part of the cave up to open. Now the good news, you know, there's everything has a silver lining. The good news is those boys knew they got in. If they got in, they could get out, mm-hmm. you know, cause when I looked at that, I thought, I don't even know literally if I could get through that. And then, you know, some of those guys are, you know, some, some of the men were, looked like they were smaller, but one of those divers looks like, you know, a normal tall guy with big shoulders. Um, and he got in and out, but, but the, the man who did pass away, that's how he passed away. He got stuck there. He ran out of air. He passed out. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to panic, that's where you're going to do it. And by the way, panic is the fastest way to die when you and are And that absolutely diving. put this whole thing in perspective because when word got out that a, a trained diver with years of experience, not just a diver on the weekends, not a diver who you know, had a whim one summer and learned how to do it, someone who is trained to do one thing, and that is dive, be well, one of the best divers dies in this cavern mm-hmm. and it's to, like to a level so you know when you have a normal license you have the open water then you you can get your next level is it allows you to go deeper and you can cave dive and then next level is rescue diver whatever that guy had is is eons above this like normal just regular people walking around couldn't possibly get the level of training he had you only get it in the military and he didn't survive it and you're going to send through an 11 year old boy mm-hmm. who can't swim that was the that was probably the ice like the cold ice water of reality over the situation because mm-hmm. before then it was like well you got the best divers on the planet. Get it. I'm sure, wow, stakes just got raised. A trained diver just passed away in this cave. So right. what are we going to do about these kids? Right. And it got to the point, the reason that they did go ahead and decide to pull them out is they felt that they had no choice, that this was the way they have to go. They had to go. And there was only a certain window because the oxygen had fallen from 21% to 15%. Now, the good news is they had been able to feed them. There were things that they were able to do, but some of those boys were not in good shape. And... They, um, the, the rains were coming and so it, it was going to get worse. They had, they'd gotten enough water out that parts of the path where you used to have to dive through, you could now walk through. So you still had to dive through part of it and there were still those small squeezes, but at least there were parts of it that you could walk through, which cut the time down. It had been taking the guys six hours, these, these trained men, six hours to get in five to come out. But they were able to cut off two hours of this path because there were certain areas that you could now right. walk through. And they said that by the time they had done the first rescue mission, they obviously had to stop pumping while the mission was going on. They had pumped out at least 20 Olympic-sized swimming pools. Not your local pool, a Olympic-sized swimming pools where the water, the second they stopped pumping, the water level rose about 10 centimeters. So the the rain had already started like that rain season that the signs warned about had already started. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you saw this report, but just after they got that coach out, so they got all the boys out first Mm -hmm. and then they got the coach out right after that, the pumping system failed. Okay. So the kids walk in their June 23rd with their coach 
They're not discovered till July 2nd. The rain's already started, and the rescue mission only ha- starts happening, what, July 4th, 5th? or so. Let me look up the date that they'd actually the first mission was. Right, because when those boys first saw that man pop out of the water, they thought, oh, good, we're going with him. He'll take us out. No, they were in there days after that. And they were able to get a doctor in. So there was a doctor who was also one of these killer, you know, diver guys. And he went in and and in the beginning, apparently, was just treating them for minor things, cuts and whatever. And, of course, they were hungry. They they lost an average of about four pounds. These are children who didn't have that to lose. Um, so he, he actually stayed with them is my understanding mm-hmm. for that whole time and was evaluating them. And which probably was a good morale boost of just having, cause we're getting updates on Twitter and online. These kids have, you know, they, all they know is what this diver that pops up from that water tells them. So, right. And I don't know. It, there are differing reports because the first report I said I heard said, okay, what they're going to do is they're going to take the weakest boys out first. They may be unconscious, which is perfectly reasonable if they were unconscious. Like that is a perfectly reasonable way to take them out. But um, that they were going to get the weakest boys out first. When they came out, they had the choice of either ambulance or helicopter. They would take if they were in in bad shape, they would take them by helicopter. And if they were in reasonably good shape, they'd take them by ambulance. My my understanding is they took the first four that came out, they took two by helicopter, so they were in pretty bad shape. And But they said they were going to get the weakest out first. Then they said they got the strongest out. You know, I've heard both, both The second things. they started that mission, uh, like the second they started the first uh, dive to go in there to find the first batch of kids, they had pushed, <clears throat> they had told the media to leave. Uh, mm-hmm. And the second that happened, we were talking about it, uh, and I was just like, we're going to get a lot of misinformation. So everything we read online, it's right. the way the 24-hour news has evolved. There's a lot of good things and there's a lot of bad things. One of the bad things is, is that other news stations now somehow count as first and second sources. So all someone like, uh, okay, so without dropping any names, all News Network A has to do is wait for News Network B to say a number on Twitter, and officially that's a confirmed source. <laughs> I will drop a name. So I was looking when the first when the first one came, when the first came out, they would say, um, you know, at first they said it was three, then they said it was four, and then, because I was looking at several sources trying to figure out what was going on, and one of the sources I looked at was Reuters, and Reuters said six were out. Not four to six, not that six were out and that they had confirmed that with somebody. Well, the next day you learn, nope. And then the other thing they did was the the parents, the family members didn't know which children had come out first. And so they got everybody away. They put up the tarp so that you couldn't see. And they just told the family, we're not going to tell you who's coming out first. The family decided they would all stay there until all of the boys were out. Um, that's one thing that I heard reported, and then that later. Yeah, changed. then I then I saw an article a day yeah. later that said that no, went, the parents mm-hmm. have already been have well, seen their for, children through the glass. So. Well, but see, what happened was for several days they didn't have glass. They right. they they honestly did not know which children were out. So there was a lot of stress. And the, one of the things they said to him is, "Listen, you wouldn't be able to see them anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, they they need to be quarantined." And I think part of that was that they didn't want. This is me guessing, by the way, that they did not want anybody campaigning for who got out first and who didn't. Yeah, there's going to be some amount of influence or, you know, even just panic or just, you know, there's already a stressful enough situation. Why add that in? Right. And it's not clear whether it, you know, it was better to come out first or not. The fact that everybody got out of that cave, all of the 
of course not everybody there was the one the one death but all of the people who had initially gone in and were the target of the rescue the fact that they all got out is nothing short of miraculous you know the fact that there was a hundred percent survival rate there is amazing and so you know it wouldn't have been clear whether it was an advantage to be one of the first group or not and um and i think that they just wanted they needed to be left alone to focus and do their job at that point but at the same time you know in the beginning they they made the conscious decision to to really put it out there on social media because they needed the help they needed to, the help to find the boys and then they needed the help to rescue them but once they decided yep this is a go then they needed to be left alone for a little bit and i understand that yeah. i mean is there anything cooler than a specialist i mean you think about humans and whether or not we affect the planet in a positive or negative way whether or not the you know our drive to you know harm each other hurt each other cause pain pollute the planet destroy the universe whatever it is i think the one time when i start having real true faith in humanity is when there's specialists involved when you have that relief of wow these guys are these kids are in a cave this is a disaster we're not gonna be able to get them out and then you realize that all right we're gonna send a handful of guys of the whole planet, these guys have been trained to do one thing. If there's anybody that can get them out of this cave, it's them. I did grow up on military bases and I am familiar with this type of person um, who specializes in these rescues. And by the way, you know, uh, these guys know how to do what they do, not just for rescue. There are other military advantages to having people be able to do what they do. But a lot of what they do is rescue, and usually who they're rescuing is, um, well, you know, so my slant, it's coming from I was a child during the Vietnam War, my father was in the Vietnam War, and and what these guys did was rescue pilots who went down. And the way that this worked is if you're a pilot in the military, you have your own specific little code phrase. Uh, you come up with it. It's filed with the military. And so what happens is if you are ever lost, somebody will appear to you and say A, and then you're going to say B, they're going to say C, you're going to say D. So it's this back and forth. And this way, you know and, and it is unique just to you. There's nobody in the world who knows it but you and sort of central military intelligence. So I've heard stories of guys in Vietnam who were shot down. Uh, you know, they're away from their plane. They're just, they're, their instructions are just sit in the jungle and you will be found. Mm -hmm. That's it. You know, and that's what they do. And then that's who appears is these Navy SEALs or these SEALs. And they, they just come up and they're going to say, you know, the king is the whatever your code is, and then you damn well better come up with. And people say, you know, they panic. It's their own code, and they panic because they they're sitting here going, "I've been out here for days. I haven't seen a soul. Where? How are you suddenly right next to me? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. And military in general, uh, whether it's Navy, Air Force, that's the best. That's probably like the most well-funded well-achieved form of specialized human beings that we've been able to put forward. Mm -hmm. I love uh, movie plots where you suddenly have someone who has military training is put in a just higher than normal civilian risk situation. You know, like, oh, the, the aliens attack. Who do we got in the room? We got a baker, a cook, oh, and a Navy SEAL. Okay, well, we know who's in charge. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he's the one guy in the corner just sharpening the blade. Just like he's, he's ready to go. He's already got a plan. Just that, that sense of no matter what happens, you don't panic. Because if you panic, who's going to do this? 
It's interesting. I've only had one personal experience with something similar, and that was when I was in Alaska. And my father was a pilot, and we would take these pontoon. We would take a pontoon plane out, and we, we did. We landed in the middle of nowhere where nobody had ever fished, and we're standing out there, and we're fishing, and we and we run across a bear. And my father, you know, he just kind of looked around. He had a gun. He was he was sort of panicking, and the other guy just put his hand up silently, and he he was just this guy that was with us, a friend of my my dad's who was in the military put his hand up and he just said just stay behind me and he grabbed a gun and when he did you could see that that wasn't at all unusual for him there was the hand and the gun and it was I don't even know how to describe how calm and how much an extension of his hand that gun was Mm -hmm. and he was so calm and we were all so calm, just staying behind him, that there was no need to kill the bear. The bear, and then I'm talking about a Kodiak bear. This is a giant thing. It wasn't my first run-in with a bear, but it was my calmest. Comes right up to us. We just stand there. He's just standing there looking at the bear, and the bear decides, I think I'm going to go over there, and just walks away. Well, whatever this is over here, I want no <laughs> part of it. <laughs> right, but, but he wasn't panicked. He was just like, oh, okay, well, they're fine. I'm fine. Yeah. See, that's awesome, because he yeah. probably still had that internal... Uh, natural form of panic but what he doesn't allow is for it to overcome his physical body he doesn't let his mind betray him i don't think that man was panicked i i honestly don't i think that there are probably situations that would panic that man but not just a bear the only time that he was concerned was was really for us it wasn't for him and as once he had us i mean we were like little ducklings behind him once we were behind him then he felt like okay well i've got now i'm in control of this and they're going to you know that bear is going to have to get through me to get to them he's not going to get through me this is going to end one way or the other either we're all going to walk away or we're going to walk away and the bear's going to be dead rather the bear not be dead but you know i i can't even tell you how calm this man was right <laughs> and how calm i was yeah. because suddenly i was like oh okay it's a bear Obviously, he's got this. So Artemis, one of the things that he kept saying to me during this is, this is going to be a movie. No matter how this ends up, it's going to be a movie. You know, there are already people, I'm sure, planning to make this movie. I can see how this movie is going to play out. They've already got producers' boots on the ground as we speak They do. Not only that, they are already declaring that this, this space, this cave, is going to be a museum. Yeah. And Some people were calling for it to be renamed after the... Uh, the perished diver, which I thought was an interesting idea. That's an interesting idea. The, um, you know, the, the the concept of this becoming a museum is is a little odd to me. Like I don't yeah, know how you are. You're like you put up a gate, I lock do. it up, throw away the key. I do. I do. I just want to be like, no, no children, nobody, no, yeah. you know, the mom and me is going. Mm. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make no, sure this doesn't happen again. Yeah, there were all there were all kinds of people trying to see, you know, how they could do this. So well, compared to Apollo thirteen, right? You have a couple of astronauts like thousands of miles in space with a with a basically in a giant piece of you know basically a trailer at that point. It didn't work one hundred percent properly. They're running out of oxygen, and you got to figure out a way to get them and hit a mark that's so thin that if they miss it even by a couple of inches, that whole thing's incinerated. To put that, to reverse that, now you've got people that are only a couple of kilometers underground. Yet for some reason, the scale of rescuing them is the exact same as rescuing. It's it's the pretty rough. And then missions. once they got them out, I, the, you know they're worried about some sort of cave disease, certain um, elements, you know, certain uh, parasites. I don't know if it's parasites or just bacteria or whatever that they Something. could have in them. There's got to be some medical <laughs> issue with being in a cave for longer than a couple of weeks. There <laughs> were issues. So they didn't just walk right out of the cave. They had a base camp there at the cave. 
part of that was they had to get their eyes blocked um, because, you know, they hadn't seen sunlight mm-hmm. for, at that point, a couple of weeks. You can't just go out into the sun, so they had right. to do that. They gave them oxygen to try to help get them, get their their body back to having oxygen. I bet they lined up vitamin shots for everybody. I'm uh, sure. Vitamin D, gotta um, get the but vitamin they can't, C going. They, they can't, it's not like they could have a hamburger. You can't. You can't be eating that little for that long. Now, for, for, for the nine or ten days they were fasting other than the water, after that they'd been feeding them something, but it was probably, you know, military mm-hmm. liquid something. And then the whole community came together. So I, I, I saw some interesting stories where, like, for four days or something, the, the uniforms weren't clean. And, I mean, God knows, they were, they were awful. They were muddy messes. You could hardly recognize them even as pants, and they were just putting them on again. Yeah. And so this woman said, you know what? I have a laundry company. Let me just tell you, I'm going to come and get it. They, she would come and get it at night. They, she had volunteers who would stay there, and they washed all of the stuff and delivered it early in the morning. And then you had people making food for all the family members. Um, there were different people praying and doing oh, different FIFA, things. Uh, FIFA gave them, uh, they, they reached out to them, and they said that they were going to give all the boys tickets to the final which plays in a couple of days, and they unfortunately rejected because they, you know, we're we're in the hospital. We we, we can't really make that trip. But that's not going to happen. That's, but that's the that's the level of how involved the world got with yeah, us. Yeah, but just the people around who just said, "Listen, you know, I don't know how to dive. I don't know. I don't know how to. You know, I don't know how to drill. I don't know how to rescue. But what I can do is do the laundry." We hope you enjoyed this special edition of Mauerglass Podcast. We're relieved that the boys and their coach are home safe and want to thank everyone who helped make it a success. See you next time.